This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories and to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello, and welcome to this virtual qualification on Saturday, October 16th, 2021. I'm a food addict from Austin, Texas, and I will share my story of recovery from food addiction. After a moment of silence, I will open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So I came to recovery a little over 10 years ago. At the time I was living in Boston, Massachusetts. And at the time I came into recovery, I had lost a little bit of weight. I was 165 and a half pounds um, or 75 kilos. My top weight was 206 pounds or 93 kilos. And today I weigh about 120 pounds, which is about 54 kilos. And I'm five feet, four inches tall, which is about 1.6 meters. And my story of food addiction for most of my life, I was a food addict. I ate too much and I was overweight. And I had a few years of exercise bulimia also before I came to FA, but I will start at the beginning. So I grew up in upstate New York. I was lucky enough to grow up with uh, four living grandparents within a half hour's drive of my house. I am a child of addicts. So my mom is a food addict. My dad's an alcoholic. And thank you, God, they're both in recovery today, but for most of my life, they were not. And when I popped out, I was just obsessed with food. I was born a food addict. So I can remember things from being a kid and I can remember things from stories my parents will tell about me. So, you know, the being, you know, 18 months old and having my first taste of a dessert and just the extreme reaction that I had to that. Kids love sugar. That's what they do. They're built to love sugar. But the reaction that I had was outsized or going to preschool for the first time. And we had snack on the first day of preschool. And I remember thinking that the snack was okay, but that it could have been better. I had some constructive criticism about the snack, but I thought surely at some point we would have that snack again and we, and it would be better. And we never had that snack again for the whole rest of the year. And I was so ticked. I was really mad and I was three and I'm 36 right now. And I still remember that. And that's one of the ways that I know I'm a food addict is that when my brain was catching memories, when I was a kid, the things that stuck in there were food and food, even 
had an effect on my family relationships. So I mentioned I grew up close to my grandparents. They provided my primary childcare when I was a kid. And I had one set of grandparents that were my Italian grandparents. And that grandmother was a food pusher. All I had to say at that house was, it was three magic words, grandma, I'm hungry. And it was like, boom, there was just food there, whatever I wanted. And I loved that house because I could eat whatever I wanted at that house. But I also was really uncomfortable there because as I grew up and I started to gain weight, I would try to diet or I wouldn't necessarily want to eat everything on my plate. And my grandmother, particularly as she got older and her memory started to go, she wouldn't even remember that you had eaten before unless there was food physically on your plate and I could never leave anything behind. I was just left sitting there feeling like, well, you know, what am I gonna do, not eat it? You know, it was food, it was right there. And her favorite saying was, it's light, eat it slow, it's light. Needless to say, none of the things she made were light, but I did eat all of them. So again, I love that house, but I was so uncomfortable with them because I was eating things I didn't necessarily want to be eating as I got older. And then my other set of grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather had both been born abroad because my great grandparents were missionaries. So my grandmother had been raised in Japan and she went to a British school there. And because of that, she had very specific ideas of what being ladylike was. And although I am female, I am a genderqueer person. I use he, him pronouns. So I would never have lived up to her definition of ladylike to begin with, but the way that I wanted to eat definitely did not fit into her definition of ladylike. And so I would get one portion and then I was done. And that was it. There were certain treats that were kept in the house specifically for the cat and I was not to eat them, you know? So I loved their house because they had all kinds of cool stuff. They were much more wealthy than my Italian grandparents. And they had all these souvenirs from China and Japan and a globe. And I just remember being so interested in that, but I was so uncomfortable at their house because I couldn't eat the way that I wanted. And so right from the very beginning, the relationships that I had with my close family members were colored by food that was what defined those relationships for me and affected them. And that was true all the way of all the way through growing up. So I, my, my parents' marriage was not a happy one and they divorced when I was 13 and I blamed my dad for the divorce and the angrier I got with him, the, the more depressed I got and also the more I gained weight and I couldn't have tied those things together before I came to FA. It wasn't until I came to the program that I could see that as I got older from elementary school to graduating from high school, that my mental health declined at the same time as my weight was going up. And that wasn't an accident, you know, eating flour and sugar and unlimited quantities of food affected the way I felt about myself, the way I felt about other people. It literally did something to my brain because those things are drugs for me. And so I wasn't 
I wasn't able to be present in my life and everything I did revolved around food. So when my friends came over for sleepovers, I was the only one still eating at three o'clock in the morning. You know, when we went to the state fair in upstate New York, which is one of my favorite places in the whole wide world, you know, the older I got, the longer the list of foods got that I had to eat while I was there. And my experience wasn't complete until I ate all of those foods. You know, everywhere we went, there was a food at the other end or anywhere we drove that was for more than an hour, you know, I had to have food in the car. And I will say that I would have been obsessed with food no matter what. I was born this way. And because I was also the child of a food addict, there were certain behaviors that I learned around food that were things that my mother also did. So we would go to the grocery store. We would buy the groceries for the week. But if you bought something new, then you had to buy two of them one to bring home and eat right away so that you knew it was good. And then one to eat throughout the week when you said that you were going to have it in the first place. And those, those kinds of things I carried through myself into adulthood. So from the ages of about 10 to 22, that was, you know, elementary school through high school. I can remember, you know, when I was about 10, I was about 120 pounds When I was 12, I was 147 pounds. When I was 16, I was, you know, 165, 175 pounds. And when I graduated from high school at age 18, I was 185 pounds. And then when I graduated from college at 22, I was 206 pounds. So from the ages of 10 to 22, I went from 120 to 206 pounds. I was gaining weight at a pretty good rate. And as I shared before, as my weight went up, my mental health went down. And in FA, I have learned that food addiction is a physical, mental, and spiritual disease. So I've, I've described the physical symptoms of the disease. I was gaining weight. I was obsessed with eating. I was, I pretty much always felt like I could eat something. You know, it's not like I was incredibly hungry or completely full. I was never full. There was always room for something else. But at the same time that was happening, I really had a lot of self-hatred. You know, I couldn't share clothes with my friends. I was uncomfortable in the clothes that I had. Um, I had all the discomfort that comes with the stigma of being overweight. So, I went through phases that are probably familiar to people who have been overweight. I bought clothes that were too small, hoping that I would lose weight into them. I bought clothes that were too big, hoping that having big clothes would make me look smaller. I was sensitive about the size of my arms or the size of my stomach. So I bought shirts that always had short sleeves that came down to a certain you know, length so that you could cover that, the, that part of my arms. And I bought shirts that were tight enough to be fitted, but not too tight. So you could see a muffin top situation. It was so much calculus and brain space spent around that. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't get out of my own way. I just didn't know what was going on with me. And in between high school and, um, actually in between college and graduate school, I lived in Boston for the first time. 
And when I lived in Boston for that summer, I rode my bicycle everywhere because I refused to pay for public transportation. <laughs> and I had a limit on the food that I could buy because my parents were paying for rent and for the tuition for the class I was taking, but I was paying for everything else. So I remember that summer as being the summer of tiny bites and tiny sips because I thought, well, okay, I can't reduce the amount of time that I'm eating, but if I reduce the size of the bites that I'm taking or the sips that I'm drinking, then maybe I can reduce my overall volume of food that I'm eating over the same period of time. That was what I thought would work. And to some extent it did because in riding my bicycle everywhere, I was, I was riding 16 to 18 miles a day. And at the end of that summer, I had lost 20 to 25 pounds. So I went from 206 back down to 180 or 185. So when I got to graduate school afterward, I thought, oh my gosh, I've discovered the answer. It's exercise. I just need to exercise more. So I got an apartment upstairs from a gym and I started going to the gym every day and I could not break 180. It didn't seem like I could could get beneath that. I was lifting weights a little bit. I was learning how to run. And I thought, well, surely this is my Italian grandmother's fault. Uh, I never learned what a correct portion size was. So I'll start calorie counting. And then if I eat the correct amounts, then my stomach will shrink and I'll start to be full at a normal time, like everybody else. So I started calorie counting and that worked sort of. Over the next three to four years, I lost weight pretty much the way that people tell you to. I lost a pound or two a week. I would say I calorie counted with some binges in between. There would be some times that I would just eat an entire bag of something or an entire box of something. And then when I would break down and do that, I would drink a gallon of water afterward because I thought somehow that would flush it all out. I had a lot of magical thinking around my eating and dieting. And that worked to a certain extent. So at the very beginning of calorie counting, I was eating three pretty reasonable, normal meals, mostly produce, but with some desserts and snacks. And fast forward to four years later, I had a calorie app in my phone. I had a calorie app on my computer. Every time I looked at a food, it was like the number of calories appeared above it. I could tell you how many calories were in anything, and I was playing all kinds of games. I can eat every 90 minutes. When is the next time I can eat? Can I eat that? Somebody invited me out for dinner, but I ate all my calories by lunch. How am I going to do that? You know, every day for lunch, I, I was working at the time, and I would drive. I had an hour for lunch. I would drive 20 minutes to the nearest farmer's market, get the largest quantity of the lowest calorie foods I could find, plus dessert because I was eating so many cal low calorie foods. And I would drive back and I would eat the entire way back. And I would just eat these huge, huge volumes of produce until I was actually sick. I mean, my stomach hurt, physically hurt, but I just needed to feel full. And I can tell you that I lost almost 80 pounds that way. You know, I got down to within 10 pounds of what I weigh now, but thin is not well. 
So I, it was all I could talk about was this is what I'm going to eat. This is why I'm eating this. I can eat this with you now, but I have to run six miles tomorrow morning. I ran seven miles yesterday. So this is why I'm eating this now. I would ask my friends how they knew when they were full. I was drinking huge quantities of zero calorie sweeteners. I was chewing gum. And again, my stomach was kind of a mess because I, I was sick all the time from all of the chemicals and all of that. So at the end of that period of weight loss, I went through a breakup. And after that breakup, I really couldn't hold on to it anymore. I, I had driven two hours to see this person and they broke up with me. And frankly, it was well-deserved. I do not begrudge them that at all. Um, but it was like, dang, I drove two hours to see you and now we're broken up. So I made them go to the grocery store with me while I bought bulk candy. I ate all of it on the two hour drive home. And then I auditioned for an operetta because I wasn't going to let them ruin my audition that day. I went out for dinner. My mom took me out for dinner and then I bought snacks that I ate on the way home. And then I went out for appetizers and drinks with a friend to, as like, to make myself feel better. And that was the beginning of the end of the weight loss. So after that, the weight started coming back on slowly, but I moved out to Boston shortly thereafter. And in this was a permanent move to Boston. I was living by myself. I got an apartment next to a running trail that I thought I was going to get out and run on every morning. I bought an expensive bike. I thought I was going to ride all the time and I could barely get out of bed, you know, because I was eating again, those mental health symptoms started showing up again. And I had suicidal ideation. I was exhausted. I could barely get out of bed in the morning to get to work on time, let alone to get up or run or ride the bike or do any of these other things I planned to do. I was just in an apartment by myself, buying dinner on my way home to make dinner. And in those three or four months, I gained 30 or 40 pounds. And I remember just walking in the apartment with arms full of groceries one day and just putting them all down on my kitchen table knowing that I was going to eat them all and just starting to cry. And I looked up at the ceiling and it wasn't like I had a super strong relationship with God, but I just said, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? And it was shortly after that, that I Googled, why can't I stop eating? And I can't emphasize how many things have to go wrong in one's life before you Google, why can't I stop eating? Like there are a lot of things that lead up to that happening. Uh, but when I Googled, why can't I stop eating? I found the FA website and I found a meeting. I went to a meeting on a Saturday morning. I showed up late and I heard somebody share from the front of the room that they had had problems with food and really the, the only thing that really stuck with me at that moment was that the person had come to the program when she was 26 and I was 26 and I, and she was in her forties at that point and had been continuously in recovery for that time, continuously what we call abstinent, which is our version of sober. And I thought, oh, I could be like that. You know, she was thin the way that I wanted to be thin. And so I at the end of the meeting, I was 
I cried. I mean, I was crying. I didn't understand how no flour, no sugar and measured, you know, no flour, no sugar. I didn't really understand how that was going to work. The measured quantities of food. I got that. That's portion control. Like, okay. And at the end of the meeting, I looked at the person next to me and I said, well, what do I do now? And she said, well, do you want a sponsor? And I said, is that what you do? I'll do that. You know, so I got handed this sponsor out of nowhere. I didn't know her at all, but she was very kind. She helped me with a food plan and she gave me a time to call her the next day. And I hadn't had any breakfast that morning because I had been binging the night before. And I said, well, what do I do? And she said, just start with lunch, you know? And, and I said to her, which was one of the first truly honest things I think I've said, I said, I, I'm really afraid. I don't know if I can do this. And she said, well, can you do it today? And I said, yeah, I think I can do it today. She said, okay, do it today and call me tomorrow. And that was over 10 years of one day at a time ago. I'm so grateful that I found this program. There were so many things that changed for me when I started First of all, around the food, I had always been somebody who was trolling for snacks. I was always looking for food. Where, where was the food in the room? I needed to know where that was. And if there was food in the room, it was what I was thinking about. I'm sorry, I was not listening to you or your story about your life. I was wondering about that food and how much of it I could eat without you seeing me eat it and whether I was taking too much or whether you were going to be ticked at me that most of it was gone. And when I came to FA, my life just became about things that were not food. You know, at first, when I was around food that I don't eat, I would get really tired. I would just feel like oh, drained afterward. And then that passed. And then I started feeling, I started thinking about what my meals were going to be long before it was time to eat them. And somebody in the program taught me to say, thank you, God, that's not my food. Whenever I was around food that, that I, that I don't eat and when I started thinking about my lunch at 1030 in the morning, I started saying, thank you, God, that's not my food yet. You know, because the only food that is that is appropriate for me to eat is the food that I've committed at the mealtime I committed it for. And I was really afraid of eating addictively again. And people said to me that I just needed to do the tools. You know, I have these supports in F.A., making phone calls to other members and going to meetings regularly and reading the literature of people whose stories are like mine and using gratitude, remembering what I'm thankful for and asking my higher power for help to not eat addictively just for today. I could use those things as coping skills. You know, the only coping skill I, I had before I came to the program was putting food in my mouth. So over time, my obsession with food really lifted. It's not as though I walk through my day-to-day white-knuckled thinking, oh my gosh, I really want that food, but I can't have it. Something in my brain has actually changed where I had a progression. I, I was in a relationship with somebody whose favorite Easter dessert was my favorite Easter dessert. And so the first year we were together at Easter, I was pissed because that person got to eat that thing that I didn't get to eat. And then the second year at Easter, it was like, whatever, it's fine, you know? And then the third year at Easter, 
I was the one doing the grocery shopping and buying the stuff and putting it in the cabinet. And every time I opened the cabinet, I was surprised to see it there. And that's the kind of stuff I love because I can't control whether or not I'm going to forget there's food in my cabinet. It's just evidence for me that God is working and that this program is actually changing my relationship to food. And as my relationship to food changed, my mental health changed as well. You know, there are people who have actual mental health things, depression, anxiety, you know, social anxiety, suicidal ideation that exist on their own. For me, those things were symptoms of my addiction. And I had other behavioral symptoms of addiction, low impulse control, wild mood swings, memory loss. And when I was able to stop eating addictively with the help of this program, those things really lifted to the point where most days now I feel emotionally neutral. I'm not flying off the handle all the time. I'm not yelling at people. I'm not always swearing like a truck driver at work. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot to love about feeling stable, basically stable. And in program, I've also been able to be honest about who I am. So sometimes in life, I will hear people talk about wanting to be authentic. And I never really knew how to do that or what that really meant. And what it means for me today is honesty. So after I had been in program and abstinent for about five years, I was having a longer conversation with my sponsor. And I talked to her about the fact that I had never felt like a woman. I had never felt like I really embodied that gender identity and that there was something inside of me that didn't, didn't feel like a woman. And I, I was very afraid. I said, I, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know if, you know, other people are going to think I'm weird. (laughs) And she said, well, what would it look like if you just lived honestly? And I said, well, I would probably start wearing a tie to work. And she said, okay, well maybe try that. And so not only has being abstinent given me a new body that I'm comfortable in, a body that is the correct size for my height, generally speaking, a body that I can put in whatever clothing feels right for my gender identity, program also gave me the honesty necessary to be able to live this way. And that's incredibly valuable. You know, my relationships with my family were generally strained before I came to the program. As I mentioned, having wild mood swings and not being particularly stable, it wasn't easy to maintain those close relationships. And today, I, I really love my family. I really have these relationships that I just never even thought to hope for. My dad, particularly, I, I shared that I really blamed him for my parents' divorce. And when I started going to meetings regularly, I thought to myself, well, you know, I can, I can call my dad once a week. If I, can go to, if I can go to meetings every week, I can call my dad once a week. And at the beginning, I was so nervous. I would call people beforehand and call people afterward. We would spend 10 minutes talking about the weather and then it would be done, you know? And then there was one day I got off the phone and I noticed we had been on the phone for a half hour and I hadn't even thought about it, you know? And after years and years of 
calling once a week or pretty close to, you know, my dad helped me move to California a couple of years ago. He, he flew to Texas where I was living and he drove with me for 2,500 miles, hotel rooms at every stop. You know, I had the cat in my car and he followed in the U-Haul and we just had a blast. I still look at the pictures of us at the Grand Canyon and it warms my heart. So I do this program because I need to survive my food addiction. That, that's why I do this. And, and FA helps me do that. FA helps me survive my food addiction one day at a time. But when I do this program, I get so much more than just survival. I get a really, really amazing life that I couldn't possibly have hoped for before I came here. And, um, and I'm really, really grateful. So thanks. I will now close with a moment of silence and the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.